So appreciate that. We continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. If you'd make your way to the book of Philippians, so far we've had an in-depth study of chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. We've learned that this book is almost a template for what it means to be members one of another, serving, walking together, um, fellowshipping together in joy in the Lord. Today we pick up where we left off last message that we were in Philippians in chapter 1 and just three verses. And really, I don't like my title. It's verses 19 through 21 of chapter 1. So when we're done with this, if you can offer me, written down on a piece of paper, a better title, I could really use it. Because when I preach this text again, uh, going through the book of Philippians in uh, about 33 years from now, uh, I'll want to use your selection for a title. But this is the best one I could, uh, I, could uh, uh, I guess, uh, create. But I believe the theology of it. There will absolutely be a new day for the child of God, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you're experiencing, there will be a new day. Some way, somehow, sometime, it's a coming. And it's going to be good. And we learn from this passage about that very subject. Chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'm going to give a practical exhortation at the beginning of the message that is probably not homiletically a good idea. It's typically not done, and I know that I don't do it. But I want to share with you an exhortation of this passage, and then we'll get into the text itself. To be sure, this refers to of believers, believers who will experience a new day uh, deliverance from current difficulties. Now, the Apostle Paul had very specific ones going on in the writing of the book of Philippians. We've learned about that. I'll allude to it. Uh, basically, under house arrest in Rome, people accusing him uh, of false motives and uh, impure motives and, and bad theology, potentially, possibly, and, and the like. So he had difficulties going on, and he was saying to the Philippians who were concerned about him, there will absolutely be a new day. There will be a new day for me, there will be a new day for you. And I'm here today in 21st century America and the world by way of internet to say that for the child of God, no matter what, there's coming a new day. Now either we believe that or what does his grace is sufficient for all things even mean? If it doesn't mean, what does it even mean that he has come to give us life and that more abundantly? So there is absolutely a new day. Hold on. Your marriage may be going to experience a renewal. That would be a new day. Your physical health may improve. That would be a new day for you. Uh, Your finances may be blessed. They may end up being blessed. Or it might be that your salvation, i.e. deliverance, really is the word in verse 19, uh, has to do with being graduated into 
heaven. Kathy's mom just this past Wednesday graduating into heaven in the most peaceful way. There was a new day realized for her that very moment. And the family discussed that very, a, a lot. We discussed it a lot. And what does it mean uh, to, to, as a, for a believer to die in that moment? What actually is going on biblically? What does the Word of God say about it? And we shared among one another that very subject and rejoiced in the Lord even in the midst of sorrow that homegoing of her mom. Either way, God tells us that we'll, there absolutely will be a new day. So no matter what is going on in your life, imagine that you are 10,000 feet in the air in an airplane. I was that yesterday. We flew back from North Carolina. That's why I have a voice is, I think, so dry today because uh, uh, we were up in the air for so long. And you're 10,000 feet up in the air in an airplane and you're in a thick fog. Folks, I'm not exaggerating. On the flight from Charlotte, North Carolina to Kansas City yesterday, when we were coming into Kansas City, I don't know what you all did. We had sunny and 75 weather in, in southern North Carolina uh, for a week. Uh, and we came back in here. And for probably 20,000 feet, I, it's got to be that much. There was so much fog, because I know what our elevation was when we started going through the clouds, <clears throat> and I know what the elevation is right above the airport, namely a few hundred feet. <clears throat> so for about 20,000 feet, we were in absolute soup coming in to town. You couldn't see anything. And let's just imagine the instruments went out on the airplane. Maybe lightning hit it, and uh, no one got killed on the plane, but all the instruments were blown. And so now you're, you're, you're flying blind. You're, you're flying in the dark. Can you all appreciate the scenario? And imagine that the engine, the sole engine that you have on this plane, starts to struggle and starts to gasp for air or for gasoline or, or whatever it is. You ha are having all kinds of problems. And what's more, there's not a parachute on board because none of this was anticipated. And so you're flying blind and there's no parachute, and the engine is struggling, and you're 10,000 feet up and don't know what to do. You have a couple of choices. You can jump without a parachute, hoping for the best. Or you can go ahead and ride out the plane ride, be in the clouds, because you know clouds are not infinite. Intellect uh, and rational thinking tells you clouds are not infinite. Sometime someplace you're going to come out of those clouds and into the clearing, right? Now, it might be that you come out of the clouds right into the side of a mountain. Could that happen? See, your instruments are gone. You don't know. That could happen. But it also could be that you come out of the clouds into brilliant, warm sunshine and a landing strip is right in front of you. Don't you want to wait to see what happens? <laughs> you see, a new day is coming for the believer either way. You're either going to plow into the side of the mountain and you're going to have a new day. Or you're going to land safely and you're going to have a new day. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying in this text. A new day is coming for me. I am going to be delivered from difficulties. So how is this new day going to come to pass? Well, let's notice in, in the text, verse 19. Look at the context. It says this. Notice in verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my deliverance. Well, what is the this? Well, verses 12 through 18, talking about Rome. Paul was in Rome under house arrest, and they were adding insult to injury by slandering him. And there were also those who were motivated by love in building up the apostle Paul. Either way, 
Paul said, Christ is being preached, and in this I'm content. And so by virtue of my contentedness in Christ being preached, if he takes me on to glory, then, I'm, then I have a new day. Or if I am liberated from these bonds, I will also have a new day. Notice it says, in sal- it talks about salvation in verse 19. It's not speaking of justification as Paul was converted decades earlier, some three plus decades earlier. What took place, uh, what he was speaking about, was delivered from his current difficulties, his house arrest, his harassment he was experiencing. He's going to be delivered from that. And so, whatever the difficulty you face right now, financial, relational, physical health, whatever it might be, or whatever you might face, just know There's a new day coming. Now, how will you experience that new day? And here's the message. How are you going to experience the new day in a practical sense? Okay, preacher, I believe that. Uh, Paul said it. It's in the Word of God. But how will I actually see that realized in my own life? Let me give you offer three points very quickly. First, you can, because you're a believer, yeah, you must depend on God. That's what verse 19 tells us. I am going to depend on God for my deliverance. Paul said, I know. Well, what did he know? That God's going to honor his promises. He's not going to ever leave me or forsake me. His grace is always going to be sufficient. He's going to be near my heart. There's no temptation taking me, but such as is common. But God will make a way of escape. I know all of these things, and I'm depending on the Lord as I'm committed myself to him to bring it to pass. We just quoted Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm going to depend on the Lord, trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to try to figure everything out myself. Uh, in all of my ways, I'm going to commit myself unto him. And then what will happen? What, what's, the, uh, what's the conditional promise? Then, and only then, presumably, he will direct my paths. But not if I'm not trusting him. Not if I'm not truly depending on him moment by moment while I'm in the midst of the difficulty is when he's going to direct my path as I depend on him. Amen? And so I must depend on him. Now, there are a couple of ways that God brings it to pass as I am depending on him, and they're mentioned in verse 19. First of all, he is going to bring a new day to pass through the prayer of the saints. The prayers, I should say plural, of the saints. Folks, we must pray for one another. Anybody pray for Kathy Borden in the past week? I know you have. We've received so... I've got, uh, uh, Kathy, uh, I've got a, uh, a briefcase full of cards, by the way. Don't, don't let me forget to give those to you. Uh, uh, and, all, uh, and that's not because, only because she's First Lady. There is a higher profile and platform uh, by virtue of that. I understand that. We recognize that and all. But that's for all of us praying for one another. Look at the verse. Look at the text. The Apostle Paul said, hey, I'm going to be delivered, and the way God is going to be deliver me is through your prayer, through your intercession for me, for you, you all crying out, God, would you bless him? Would you care for, for her? Uh, uh, surely you've commented to me about that uh, in the th- uh, two-month or three-month uh, uh, dying and death uh, of, of her beloved husband husband of 55 years, 56 years, 56 years of how the Lord sustained them. And uh, uh, folks, I've experienced such catastrophic loss in my life. And at the same time, I even commented to someone one time, I think there's something wrong with me. I think I'm losing my mind or something in this because I am crying my eyes out. My gut is wrenching. And yet, 
My soul is rejoicing in God my Savior after Mary in, in the Gospel of Luke. I rejoice in Him. That is a spiritual phenomenon that only He can bring to pass. And He will and He blesses the believing prayer of His people. He just does. Now, how that all works out, the machinations of that, I, I, can't, write a, I can't write a commentary on it. It's just clear in Scripture that God blesses believing prayer. He operates in the realm of praying for one another. Now, this is not about us, but it is so fresh for Kathy and myself. Her mom, and I've witnessed it myself, and I've heard testimony from many others for decades rose early every morning. I don't think she did this on Sunday uh, because she was getting ready uh, for, for, to go worship service and all and minister in, in there. Uh, but Monday through Saturday, every morning, 6 a.m., 6.30, she would already be up on the porch, the back porch, if, if the weather would allow, praying for hours, doing nothing else but praying for hours. Guess who was on that prayer list every day? through which she prayed, praying through a prayer list every day, Redbridge Baptist Church. And that's been the case for years. And who was on that prayer list for decades uh, that, through which she was praying? God's man for Kathy. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, and who else has been on that prayer list? All of my children, my grandchildren, and all. And you have, many of you have. Uh, Trisha's mom, I believe. Mark's brother if I remember correctly. And on on. Folks, uh, uh, my, my favorite daughter-in-law, Rachel, on Kathy's mom's prayer list for hours every morning. I've witnessed it myself. That is what this is talking about. The Apostle Paul saying, I'm going to be delivered because God answers the believing prayer of his people. Amen. We must pray one for another. Secondly, we see in the text, we can and must depend on God. And the way we do so, how he makes that happen is through the provision of the Spirit. Look at verse 19. He's going to do it. My deliverance is going to come through your prayers and the supply or the provision of the Spirit of God. In my difficulty, the Spirit of God is going to provide for me. And what is it he's going to provide? He's going to provide consolation or comfort in suffering. He is going to uh, provide <clears throat> conviction when I'm sinning. As a child of God, I, can't, you, I, can, I can sin. You can too, right? You just can't get away with it, nor, nor can I. Because the Spirit of God brings conviction on my heart every time. I can't get away with any known sin. Did you hear that? I, can you? Can you under, anybody identify with what I'm talking about? You can't get away with any sin that you know you're committing because the Spirit of God is going to convict, grip your heart. Your conscience will be burdened. And that's one of the ways He provides for us consolation when I'm suffering, conviction when I'm sinning, and counsel when I'm in study, when I'm in the Word of God, the Scripture which the Spirit inspired. He is going to do that work in my heart. And so I'm going to be delivered from the suffering, meaning, you mean he won't have to, he may, he may say in a, a, 
house arrest for years and years. Who knows? He may uh, end up getting fed to the lions. He didn't know that. The fact of the matter is, in the midst of that suffering, there is comfort, and I've illustrated it uh, already. Uh, and if you've experienced that, you can attest to it as well. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, and verse 22 say, Blessed be the God, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, the Father of mercies, that takes care of our sin problem. The God of all comfort, that takes care of our suffering problem. Who also has sealed us and given us the earnest, the down payment, if you will, of what we will inherit by his Spirit being in our hearts. See, the Spirit of God is in our hearts, and, and that is just an, uh, an, uh, an indication that there's more to come. There's a new day coming for the child of God. The Spirit is that down payment, the earnest payment for that. So, we must depend on him, verse 19. Secondly, you can because you're a believer. Therefore, you must be faithful to God. Since you're depending on him, that means that, okay, I'm now going to walk in faithfulness. Look at verse 20. It says that, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I, I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You all remember me sharing with you two or three weeks ago, how I had a hunk of Philippians chapter 1 already, uh, already cut off. Uh, the, just imagine a, 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 a hunk of cheese. What do you call a hunk of cheese? A hunk of cheese? And you got this much, uh, and you cut off what you think is what the amount you want. Boy, I had that happen a week ago. What was that 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 lady made for us? That chocolate, chocolate mousse. This chocolate mousse, you ate one spoonful and you'd had a whole meal. I'd never tasted anything so rich in my entire life. Well, I, because it's me, I scooped up a bowl full and thought, I'm going to take this easy. Folks, I can eat a half a pie by myself and do just fine. I'm not convicted about it because I'm thankful for every bite. Therefore, it is sanctified. 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Timothy 4. Your food is sanctified if you're grateful. Now, you think I'm being sarcastic. I'm not. I told Kathy when we got married, we didn't need to pray over our groceries or, or over our meal when we ate because I'm already thankful. So it's sanctified. Now, so that you Baptists don't get <laughs> all upset. Of course we pray over our meals because we really want to say we're thankful, Lord. But that's what I'm talking about, thankfulness uh, and, and, and in all we've received from him. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> cut off a hunk of cheese. That's where, where it was. <clears throat> Just be grateful for that thing. I don't say the things that sometimes come to my mind. Hunk of cheese, and I think I'm going to have all of that. And you remember me saying two or three weeks ago, I cut it down to a third of what it was going to be. This passage is so rich, it is a spoonful is all you can take at a time. And so hence the three verses instead of eight or ten or however many. You must be faithful to him. The, the, the fact that Paul indicated that says that it's possible that he would be ashamed 
it's within the realm of possibility that he could deny the Lord. Others have, and others did. And he said, I don't want that to be the case for me. <clears throat> in fact, 1 John 2.28 says, Little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so there's the possibility that you could be unfaithful. Don't do that. You must be faithful if you're going to experience a new day. That's not, that's not work sanctification. That's simply how the economy of Scripture works. That I am going to honor him, obey him, follow him, trust him, love him. And he is pleased and delights in blessing his children as they, uh, and not disciplining them when they are doing just that. Now, the, there are two key verbs in this verse, both in the passive voice. I want you to look at it in verse 20. Paul said that shame would not come to him, that's passive voice, but magnification, glory, would come, that's also passive, to Christ. Why could he say that? How is it that that would come to pass? One word, and it's found in verse 20. It's going to come to pass by his boldness. Notice in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation, my hope, that I won't, shame won't come to me, but glory will go to Christ. How? That with all boldness, he might be magnified. Boldness, that is standing strong for him. Standing resolute. It's the word, and it's a very strong word in the Greek New Testament, and it means complete resolve, absolute or confident resolve. In other words, I am, I've pitched, uh, I've planted a stake. I am staying here. Uh, you're not, I'm not budging. It is standing strong for him. It's being absolutely resolute for the glory of God. Of God. It speaks of displaying a witness of which or of whom the one re receiving it is deserving. And Christ is deserving. And Paul knew that. And in doing that, the believer will not experience shame and Christ will experience magnification, glory, uh, and the gospel will be disseminated. Now, notice Paul said <clears throat> this, fa this faithfulness takes place, notice in verse 20, in my body. That is, <clears throat> he's not farming it out elsewhere. Uh, that is, this is not just ethereal. This is not theory. This is actually boots on the ground. He himself has to walk down this path. It's my life being poured out as a drink offering to the Lord Notice I'm depending on him, I'm surrendering, I'm yielding, and I'm going to faithfully walk out, live out this commitment that I have made. It's practical, it's day-to-day, -day, it is the here and now, and my life being poured out. And in doing that, I will never be ashamed. Folks, if I am surrendering and yielding and my life's being poured out moment by moment, I'll never be ashamed, Amen. 1 John 2.28 will be realized. I'll not be ashamed when he calls me home. And what's more, glory will be brought to him. And it'll only be, come to pass if I'm intentional about my boldness. That is, when the pressure comes, when there's a death in the family, when there is a, 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 a diagnosis of cancer, when there's a job loss, when there's a relational issue, or whatever it might be, I'm going to again and again say, I am resolved never to linger, never to be charmed by the world's delights. 
and I'm going to follow him resolutely all my days. That's what Paul said. And if I'll do that, I'll never be ashamed, and he'll always be glorified. Amen? So faithfulness to him is the call of the hour. How audacious it must be. Certainly it is. How outrageous it is for me to presume that I'm my own king. Isn't that audacious? When Scripture teaches that we're dust, and it were not for His mercies, we'd already be consumed like a worm. And how audacious and outrageous it is to ever presume you are your own head. You are your own boss. Folks, if you're a child of God, you've been bought with the price. Therefore, 1 Corinthians says, glorify God in spirit, soul, body, which are His. Thirdly, not only must you depend on Him and be faithful to Him, you can, must be resolute. And I've alluded to that, and it's a good segue, because verse 21 tells us that. Notice it says, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, this verse is one of the most emphatic verses I've ever found in the New Testament, because the only verbs are live and die. The verb, do you have in your Bible the word is? Nobody has is? For to me, to live is. Do you have that? Is Christ. And to die is. Those aren't there. Those are added because it's implied. And, it, and that doesn't make it wrong. But my, in my Bible, because I have a study Bible, is your word is both, both times italicized? Yes? Hold your hand up. It's italicized. That is, let me give you a, a teaching in how, how things are done in translation of Scripture. That is their tip-off saying this word is not in the Greek New Testament. We are putting it in because it's implied. We believe it's implied. It's difficult to translate from one uh, dead, archaic, ancient language to a modern language. So therefore, we're saying, okay, it sounds better and makes more sense in our language, but we're telling you it wasn't there, therefore we're italicizing it. You all follow that? That's a good practice. I like that. But just know it wasn't there. So therefore, what does it literally say? in verse 21. It says, for me, to live, Christ, to die, gain. There is a new day coming. And if I will live for him now, that's a new day every day. If he takes me on home, that's a new day eternally. In that eternal day. Kenneth Weist wrote, what should be the heartbeat of every child of God. When he said, Christ is Paul's life in that he is that eternal life which Paul received in salvation, a life which is ethical in its content, which operates in Paul as a motivating, energizing, pulsating principle of, exist of existence that, Paul, that transforms Paul's life, a divine person living his life in and through the apostle, all of Paul's activities, all of his interests, the entire round of his existence is ensphered in, in, in within that circumference, which is Christ. In other words, the circle surrounding his, surrounding his life, all points and everything in between, is I'm going to live for him. To live Christ, to die, wow, that's even better. Because I 
am in his presence for all eternity. The Apostle Paul was not, he, he was the epitome of not being a narcissist. What's a narcissist? It's all about me. It's self-love. The world revolves around me. Paul was the anti-narcissist. Um, he didn't think highly of himself. And it wasn't self-loathing because he's created in the image of God, as are you. But it is not thinking too highly of oneself, but putting Christ on the throne. Daryl Bach of Dallas Seminary wrote, Paul's hope for the future, centered as it was in Jesus, kept him from making too much of his current circumstances. This hope enabled him to reassess his circumstances, not by suppressing his emotions, evident throughout this letter, but by relating them to God's sovereignty and to Jesus' centrality in life. Folks, I'm not picking on anyone. And frankly, uh, I pick on men when, it, when, it, when it's germane too. Um, I don't usually pick on women, unless I have to. But the postings I see on Facebook from time to time, I'm thinking... <clears throat> Don't think so, don't take yourself so seriously. And I'm gonna get in trouble for this. <clears throat> it's the female persuasion and the younger female persuasion. The 13 to 33-year-olds who post, pray for me, it's tough today. And then what happens? The whole world comes clamoring to, oh, tell us, how can we hold your hand? Now, it may genuinely be tough. The Apostle Paul said, I might die. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> Stop thinking so, taking yourself so seriously. Take your calling in Christ seriously. Take your responsibilities in life seriously. But don't take yourself seriously. If you've learned one thing from me uh, in 36 years on staff here, is I take the calling of the pastorate as seriously as I know how to, humanly speaking. And uh, I took uh, the responsibility of uh, being a husband to two wives, of being a father of four children, and other responsibilities very seriously. Have you noticed I don't think very much uh, about whether or not I say something dumb or do something dumb? You hear what I'm saying? Don't take yourself so seriously. Your, your issue in life is your issue. Put it in light of Scripture. Now, I'm not I'm, I'm not scolding. I, I don't even, I'm not, this is not applied to one, one soul here that I know of. But we have a tendency as the human race to think my owie needs attention. And I need you to come running to me, kissing my little boo-boo that I have when I fell down and scraped my knee. Right? Don't we? <laughs> yes. Do I in the flesh? Yes, I love attention. I want comfort. But I ought to want to set my affection on things above first and foremost. Amen? Let's be all about that. I don't know how I'm going to get out of that, but oh well. So 23-year-old young ladies, take heed. Pay attention. Um, that seems to be char a characteristic of, uh, of some that just attention, sucking attention. Um, and it's not 
it's not an attractive quality, frankly. The Apostle Paul was the opposite of that. He was the anti-narcissist. It's not about me. I'm not taking my situation too seriously. In fact, if I live, I'm living for him. If I die, wow, that's a new day. And that's good stuff if we believe biblical theology. Your life must not be about you. You must be resolute for it to be about him. So take inventory. Are there items, issues, individuals in your lives which are the driving passion of your soul? That is, I am living for her. I am living for him. I am living for it, the job, the education, the new house, the car, whatever it might be. If that's the case, what do you do? Uh, Repent, because if he is not high and lifted up, first and foremost, then that is sin, and there needs to be repentance. Let your earthly experience be characterized as resolutely living for God, verse 21. If I'm alive and I'm breathing, I'm living for him. If I'm not, then (laughs) all the difficulties are gone. The new day is here. H.C.G. Mool succinctly summarized Paul's situation by saying, life and death are to him (laughs) a dilemma of blessings. (laughs) I wish I could write like that. It's a dilemma of blessings if you are in Christ. Paul didn't take himself seriously. In Acts 20, 24, I go bound in the Spirit. Notice the, the, uh, the highlighted part. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. I'm not taking myself too seriously. In Acts 21, 13, it says, but also to die at Jerusalem. I'm bound, but I might also die. I'm not taking myself too seriously. This is his testimony. And he testified to the Romans as well in chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. We live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. I'm not taking myself seriously. I'm resolute, not about my own issues. I'm resolute in following him and depending on him in trusting in him. Paul said, to live, Christ. To die, even better than my current difficulties. May that be our heartbeat this day. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. Wow, what a passage of three verses, absolutely loaded with theology and with practical how-to living in the here and now. So thankful for Paul's incarceration, which the Spirit of God used to breathe Lord, your word through him so that we might have it 2,000 years later. That is an amazing thing. How good you are to us. Lord, may we uh, communicate this to a lost and dying world. Lord, would you touch the hearts of those who have watched uh, and, or who will watch and listen to this message online, worldwide, that you would save uh, those who, uh, who don't have hope because of not knowing you. Lord, touch that life. Grant repentance and faith to even some here this day for your glory, for the eternal blessing, the new day that salvation brings. And uh, Lord, do this for your glory.